0: This episode is brought to you by CAT Electronics. CAT, if you're not familiar, a legendary company that's been making electronic pads and controllers for years. And the one pr- product they want to make sure that we call out in this episode is the KTMP-1 electronic drum and percussion pad module, which is a real simple, easy way to expand your acoustic kit with some electronics. It's got four pads. Um, you can play with your hands or with sticks, it's great for um, you know pop gigs where you need to have an occasional electronic hand clap or whatever. It's compact. It's affordable. I believe it's under 100 bucks. It's got 50 different sounds in there, all the stuff you would need for basic gigging purposes. You can assign, um, you can change the signing. You can fine tune some reverb. Basically, this is the perfect entryway into electronics. It is the CAT KTMP-1 electronic module. Go to catpercussion.com for more info. This episode is also sponsored by TNR Products. TNR Products is the manufacturer of the Booty Shaker Floor Tum Foot um, Floor Isolator Foam covers and also the little booty shaker, which are little foam covers for the claws on the snare drum basket, both of which are designed to maximize resonance on drums that usually sacrifice the most from the floor tom legs or having a rack tom in the snare basket that can kind of mess with the sustain a little bit. So I'll remind you again at the end of the episode, but TNR is offering a 20% discount for all uh, podcast listeners. So just go to TNRproducts.com enter the code Mike. And Mike, so that'd be Mike ampersand the little squiggly sign, Mike ampersand Mike, and that will get you twenty percent off as well as free shipping in the U.S. And that code is active until December thirty first. Again, we'll remind you at the ep- again at the end of the episode. But for now, let's get rolling. <laughs>
1: I'm not even going to say anything. How you doing, Mike? How how was Salt Lake City? (laughs) Dude, it was good, man. It was... Okay. Do we? How was Salt Lake City? All All right. All right. I'll take that. Everyone, just know... Snafu on Johnston. That's all you need to know. <laughs> A couple of people in Salt Lake City know about it, though. Oh, they yes. know, they, uh, yeah. Yeah. They were just like, why are you so down, man? <laughs> like, I, rough go. Rough go. Anyways, all is good. We are back. And Salt Lake City was fantastic, man. And there's so many people that listen to the podcast out there. So to all of you, thank you guys so much. And even got to run into, uh, oh, he was last week's intro groove. Uh, Mike Lomax. Oh, cool. Can't believe I remembered his name. Nice. Yeah, we were talking. Amazing guy. I mean, honestly, we're kind of lucky. You have to assume, no offense to some other podcasts, but (laughs) I listen to some pretty (laughs) geeky podcasts, and I kind of think, like, what are their listeners like? Uh, Yeah, yeah. We're kind of lucky. Our listeners are awesome. Like, I meet them in person. I'm like, you're a cool guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine what, like, uh, let's discuss... The WB's The Flash and the Arrow podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I would assume there's some you know, questionable figures. Hey, let's not be hating but, on our peers here. <laughs> hey. Do you think that I would be able to tell you that that was on the WB if I didn't watch it? <laughs> I don't even know what so, the hell you're talking <laughs> Oh, damn it! Come on, join the geek revolution with me. Anyways, oh, I just, all I know is I'm very appreciative that when I meet our listeners in person, they are always extremely cool people. And I got to meet Mike Lomax, and it was, just, it was just cool. We were talking about the podcast, and it was very insightful, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, and you played my intro groove. And to be honest, I mean... He was very appreciative of the fact that we involve our listeners in our podcast and let them express themselves artistically, just like you just heard, with Michael Rafter. Michael Rafter. That this, was our intro. Bro. This
0: might be his second spot on the show. Um, cool beat. He's yeah, using man. an old kit. I've never heard of a St. George kit. So if anyone has any information, it's a 60s kit from called St. George. So, Michael, maybe you can share some info, but that's really curious. The snare drum is an Orbitone snare. Again, I've heard the name, never actually seen one in person. Very cool. Um, vintage UFIP hi-hats, which is nice. Love it. Very cool. Love it. So he's got some cool stuff. He's recording Ableton Live. Uh, he's got the Focusrite Claret 8P, 8 Pre interface. Again, if you're looking to get a little home studio setup, that is by far my top choice for function and affordability. Here's the cool part. Two microphones. Uh, a kick drum and an overhead but they were actually on it looks like they were on a different kit in a studio so that was more of an ambient that's so cool which is kind of neat doesn't sound like it it sounds like it's closed mic to me
1: but nice very cool yeah that's awesome and i think that that's one thing that most of us at some point or in the beginning fall short of is we're so scared to experiment, and that's yeah. how you get the coolest stuff is just move things to the places that make no sense whatsoever. Especially two and mics. You kind of can't mess it up. You Very
0: rarely you're going to have any phasing issues. So just whatever. Mic, right. mic the corner of the room, mic the floor, mic yeah. the ceiling.
1: Just try it all. Absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. Uh, I was just thinking when he mentioned or, or when you were talking about UFIP symbols, we should do a, a little feature or a segment on – Companies that came out when you and I were growing up, like when we were in our teens, which ones of those are still around? Because when I think of the companies that I really consider to be industry titans, they've been around for a long time. So I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, and I would have to really give it some thought, but I'm wondering who came out, say, 98 or later that is actually – a standardized company where it's just hmm. like, no, they're part, they're part of the industry. They're not a boutique company anymore. They're part of the real deal. And that'd be a cool thing to check out, you know? Cause I remember when UFIP came out, I was working in retail and I remember thinking, I've never seen symbols that had this much craftsmanship and care put in. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was so used to very, very, consistent manufactured symbols. Zildjian, Sabian, Peistein, just, yeah, they're, they're going to be what they are. And then all of a sudden it was like, did some somebody make this by hand? Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, nice, so, yeah, they've
0: always been beautiful symbols. I think they just had trouble getting uh, distribution here in North America, but man, it's beautiful. Right. Charlie Watts has been using the China on his kit forever. Like that is his China right. sound. Is an Wow. And I think maybe someone in Italy can correct me. The pronunciation is Ufip not yeah ufip. that's what i said <laughs> i've always said ufip but yeah. then the uh when i met one of the ufip. reps he kept saying ufip mm, that's then well, it is what it is right yeah right that's well, maybe i'm misremembering but anyway we need more beats so please send in your your grooves your tracks um, last week i was joking around about them needing to be full productions they don't you can have a zoom recorder like we
1: used to record the podcast,
0: mm. right, Mike? <laughs> yes, I
1: do use a Zoom recorder, and I don't use pro-, pro Tools that crashes, and this is not the second time we've done this podcast in one week. <laughs> you can send Ooh. your beats to indieinfo at com. What are we talking about in this episode? We are talking about a lot of things. So, our educational section, I want to talk about developing a pattern and how you and I approach that. And when I say developing a pattern, I'm thinking of something very short, maybe between three and eight notes long. When that comes to us, or to our attention, how do we attack that? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Gergo Borlai. If you are like me, and you don't know who he is, or didn't know who he was, I promise you will not make this mistake that I made, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, He is one of the greatest drummers in the world, I'm excited to talk about him. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the ANF 5x14 raw copper snare drum. We'll get to your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. Picks of the week. Let's get started. All right. Okay, so... First of all, moving forward, we're getting close to to the end of the year, and you and I are very anti New Year's re- resolution. We either improve our lives yep. or we don't. Yeah, but we don't do it on a date. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a
0: weird one. And In- inevitably, if I set a date for something, I'm going to. I just don't. I go right past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my one sort of New-, New Year's resolution is still to get off of 24 hours of coffee. So that I'm going to stick to. But drumming wise. <laughs> Let's just say yeah. we have goals.
1: <laughs> we have goals, and I, I think annual goals are fine. Like, okay, I, I think that if I chose to work on, say, my single stroke clarity and speed, having an annual goal of I, I'm, it's going to take me a year to do this minimum. That's mm-hmm. like just scratching the surface. So I'm okay with that. But I, I don't. If I get inspired to do something, I'm not going to wait till January first to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, right. Let's go. Start so now. Yeah. I want to talk to you about. Now that PASIC is in your in your past, mm-hmm. and now that my, especially after Utah, my clinic world is done for the year, and I actually have purposely cleared out most of the beginning of the year so I can do some stuff, I want to talk about what we are going to be focusing on and moving forward. Like, What is your priority for your own personal drumming? Yeah, it's, um, it's a good time for
0: me to finally let some of the, you know, let loose on the reins a little bit. I feel like I've, okay. I've, um, I'm ready to go just play drums in front of people for any length of time now. Like, I don't feel like I need to have a plan or have to, you know, kind of keep it to one minute Instagram solos. I think I can actually sit down and just play with no, no structure whatsoever, but because I practiced so structured over the past couple of years, I think some music will come out of it, whether or not it's earth shattering. It's not going to be just a random solo. So I think that's my Mm -hmm. goal for next year is just do more soloing, maybe with loops, maybe without loops, maybe with electronics, maybe without electronics, and just getting comfortable performing in front of people just
1: by myself. That's a big goal. Yeah, I still think even that, well, one, I think that's a massive goal, but it's funny how hard that is to do unless that's just kind of who you are as a person. But Mm -hmm. the way I always think about it is Nam. I think about, I walk past a booth, some guy grabs me, and he goes, dude, you got to check out my kit. Please check out my kit. <laughs> yeah. And I go, yeah, no problem. I sit down, and I literally don't even know how to play drums. Yeah, me too. Because I have no yeah. plan. I don't and I'm take like, my backpack off. I don't take my jacket <laughs> off. I might just no, use one No, I just hit them stick. one by one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I don't know what to play, and then yeah. I, feel like, I feel like I'm feel like i in sixth grade again, and like my aunt is like, play something cool, Michael. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to play drums. so. <laughs> And it's funny, the, it's so funny, the few times per week that I sit down on the kit and something just naturally beautiful flows out of me, the my first thought is, God, I wish I was at Nam right now. Uh. Like <laughs> That's all I want to do, I don't want to sit down and blow chops, I just want to play something tasty. Yeah. Tasty is all I want, because that's cool enough for me, and it's, it's something that to be able to sit down on a drum set, whether it be in a pressure-packed situation like a clinic, or just in your room by yourself... And play something that you're actually proud of, that made musical sense, but that was longer than 20 seconds, and wasn't just a groove, and there was no song supporting you. Yeah, that's a really tough thing to do. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about
0: um, trusting my instincts and sense of structure, and knowing that I know what you know, how to make a piece of music. I just need to trust it. Um, I think I might have told him if I told you last week or in the Phantom episode, but it was a
1: <laughs> Don't be <laughs> that, 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 that Yannick,
0: uh, the bass player, Yannick. <laughs> yeah. 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 He put up some, yeah, I think he created a course on his website and he had like a, a clip on Instagram where he was talking about his approach to improvisation simply being play an idea and then decide whether I need to explore that idea more or move on. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of revolutionary for me to think, okay, I, I, I know physically I can play the instrument. I can play in time most of the time. I can get a good sound most of the time. So now it comes down to play something. Do I like what I just played? If so, let me keep going with it. If not, just transition into something else and just having faith that all the work I've been putting in is going to guide me in some sort of musical direction.
1: Yeah, I think, and to that point... One of the hardest things to do is to have the diligence that you had in the past, say decade or so, to work out the ideas that you want to explore. Like everyone always says, well, you know, explore the idea, and it's like, well, what if the idea to me is just the idea? It's it's just a one bar loop. Yeah, where do you take it? If I haven't if I haven't practiced it, then I can't just explore it. So I think that's the missing link to a lot of people during their creative blocks is. They get into a halftime shuffle, and it's like, oh, it would be great to explore it the way Ashstone does or that Matt Chamberlain would. But they also have 2,000 variations of the halftime shuffle that allow them to explore it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Where if you yeah. only
1: know Rosanna, then it's like, explore it. It's like, I can't even open the hi-hat. Like I'm, I just know this beat. Yeah. So I think that that's what's allowing you to now be able to do that. So it's not just a mental breakthrough. You have to have the physical set of skills to then allow your brain to explore those things. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I think so. I think for me next year is going to be that, like just
0: kind of letting loose a little bit more and and still addressing timing and precision and accuracy. I have a tendency to like hear an idea and just force my hands to cram it in the space of two quarter notes or whatever <laughs> and not really knowing what I'm doing so anytime I go into one of those moments I'm, I'm going to stop myself and say "Okay, make sure you know exactly what you're doing was that 30 second notes, was that triplets Was was where right. was all the patterns but for the most part I want to just play and not not depend on the kit being a certain way having to have loops, having to be in my studio having to have, you know, just, just right. play all my clinics have been set up that way where I just use whatever gear is there and that's that's the purpose of it. Is just use it if it's a dead sounding kit. We'll play a way that makes the dead sounding kit work. If it's a super high bright bebop kit, which by the way, I just just finished demoing the new Gretsch Brooklyn Micro
1: Kit. Yeah, I saw the picture you put up. That thing Holy looks amazing.
0: smokes! It immediately puts me into super creative mode. Like really, Jack DeJohnette, Elvin Jones, just live in that world, just explore That's the cool. instrument with no sense of. Uh, you know the bass drum has to do this type of thing and right. just the sound. And so it's a really amazing kit. So the instrument inspires me to do that as well, but I don't want to rely mm. on that. So that's right the other side of it. So yeah, that's kind of my, my big goal is to continue working on the fundamentals to the point where I don't have to think about them and then allow
1: myself to just play freely more. Nice. Yeah, you know, I think what would be a good segment in the future too would be for you and I to maybe play a two to three minute solo so that we don't lose all of our listeners but (laughs) a two to three minute solo each and then talk about the mental approach in the moment like especially if when we do the two to three minute solo on our own if immediately we could write down on a piece of paper what was going through your mind while this was happening how were you developing Mm it at what point did you decide to move on from the idea and was it something that happened while you were drumming that caused you to realize yeah I think we're Done with this one. Um, And on a listening level, I would love for us to critique each other. Like maybe you as the drummer felt like you were done, but I was really bummed when you moved on Mm -hmm. because I wanted you to stay there longer. Um, And so I think that'd be fun for the listeners and and for us as well. So where are you at? What's your goals? Uh, You know, I was really shocked about this one aspect. You know that I guess around the midway point of this podcast, around episode, you know, late 90s, I decided to make it the year of time. Mm. I was obsessed with time. I was going to get better at it. And I felt like I was truly making some headway. And then my year, my real year started uh, in the beginning of summer, which is my drum camps, international camps, clinic tours, drum festivals. And it was nonstop, no practicing for almost six and a half months now, yeah. um, other than practicing for those events. Well, that was a huge eye opener for me because I've never had something in drumming not stick with me once i had it so if we're Mm -hmm. talking about hand speed i lose five or ten bpm if i'm not working on it but it's not like i can't play a double stroke role right it's just maybe not as flawless as it was when i was obsessed with it i i was shocked that this aspect timing actually disappears it does. I yeah. I cannot control my time right now. <laughs> you have to practice uh, it every freaking day. <laughs> I was so surprised because I like I said. I mean, independence. It might take me three seconds to be like, oh yeah, that's what it does. But I have the things that I did when I was sixteen. I still have them, and I don't practice them. Mm-hmm. Timing. I thought, okay, cool. I've improved twenty percent on my timing. Now I have that for the rest of my life. I don't. I. I, I was shocked that it went away. So so yeah. timing is going to be a huge thing. And now I know that. Okay. On a bare minimum, I I never get to stop practicing that. I yeah. have to do that every day. I
0: mean, I could offer suggestions based on what I do every day. That it's it's my uh, barometer. Like, I, if I don't do these things every day, then I know I'm going to get worse. <laughs> so yeah, man. I turn on I, the beatnik pad. Okay. I turn it on. You know, whatever setting I can routinely achieve between 70 and 85 percent accuracy so wherever you're at whether it's the okay easy medium hard expert and then i just run through very simple stickings single strokes and then wait until the you know i use the horizontal screen so you see like your your strokes as like a horizontal line right once i fill the screen I play for a minute, and I look down and see if the screen is filled. If it's not filled, I look away from the screen and keep playing. But once the screen okay. is filled, I stop and assess where I'm at. If I've hit 85% accuracy, then I know I'm where I was the day before, and then I move on to double strokes. So I take like super simple stickings that aren't complicated, right. but they require different muscles to be played with precision. Paradidals, yes. singles, doubles... And that has been every day, at least for my confidence. I know um, if I hit eighty percent, then I, I'm not worse than I was yesterday. In this machine, there's no way for for me to lie to myself. Cheater. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that really helps. Yeah. I just go for like a sixteenth note at like a hundred BPM. And that's I it. love it, it's man. Like five I, minutes I, a I, day, th- and it kind of keeps my ears like attuned to that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big key is the fact that I ignored it for so long and it's just the focus of it i I think that everyone can have their own things and this is what i got from talking to mark and ash about this exact same thing um, two camps ago when i was starting to get into that stuff was the one commonality between mark and ash it wasn't the exercise it was the fact that they practice time every day yeah right and it's like, well, it's no surprise you're good at the things that you put the hours into. So time is going to be a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, and then dynamics. I'm still mm. very reliant on my physicality, especially if I get nervous. If I get, And I don't really get nervous like I'm scared. I get like excitement nerves. Yeah. But when I get in that mode, the volume goes through the roof. And I still have not played a clinic or a drum festival ever in my life at the volume that I wish I played it at before the clinic started. Hmm. Every time I go, like, that was loud. (laughs) But I I would love to have the confidence to come in and play very delicate and be confident, this is just as cool as if I was swinging for the fences. Unfortunately, I've got decades of rock in my past where hitting hard was your validation. And I'm trying to retrain my brain that I could come out and play delicate and make the audience lean forward to hear me and still feel like, no, that was very cool. I Actually, in... From the outside looking in, I think it would be cooler. Mm-hmm. It's just in the moment. I rely. I go back to my old habits and start swinging. So, do you think that's uh, because uh, we're in the era of in-ear monitors, so you maybe aren't a- really aware of what your actual dynamics are, or is it? It it definitely could be. I think it's. I th- I see that with my students. I try. I would say my last six or seven clinics has always been one ear in, one ear out. Okay. Uh, because of that, Richard Spaven. We sat down, and that, uh, the first time I met him in, uh, at the UK drum show, that the only time we got to talk at all, because it was a really crazy, crazy festival uh, in a good way, but that was the one thing we talked about. He's like, do you use in-ears? And I go, yeah. And I was all excited to talk about my, my UE <laughs> 1127 Pros, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I, I just I don't understand them. And I'm like, brr, uh he And he said, yeah, the reason I wear headphones is because I just can't be that isolated away from my drum set within ears and if I have headphones on I purposely choose the ones that allow for the bleed and everything and I can hear the drums but I can hear the tracks I'm playing to I can hear the click and so he, I think he was kind of making sure that I knew like that he wasn't wearing headphones to be some drum and bass hipster <laughs> like mm-hmm. it wasn't a visual thing he cho- he chose to hear it I think that playing the drum set without any hearing protection at least for a few minutes while trying to be quiet is going to be really important to anyone's development Uh, I would not suggest that if you were working on Foo Fighter covers, just so you can hear how loud you are. But if you're actually trying to bring the volume down, I think playing and hearing the instrument the way it's being played is super important. So, yeah, for this year, my big focus is definitely going to be time, and that's going to, instead of being an annual focus, that will be a lifetime of work, and I'm prepared for that. And then just constantly working on my dynamics and being able to be confident that the quiet stuff is as cool as the loud stuff. You know, the
0: timing thing... Is interesting. I feel like
1: that is the ultimate humbler.
0: So if anyone is out there looking to go down this path, it, it's uh, for me. It's totally frustrating. It's it's worse than the single stroke <laughs> roll because I, I mean I've gotten to a certain point. Where like my time is pretty good, and the moment I like mentally stop focusing on it, stuff slips. It's 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 like it yeah. never goes away. Maybe some people are just born with a gift of an internal clock. But for me, I feel like
1: I'm just like skating on the razor's edge of collapse with with timing yeah. all the time. I mean, my my first revelation of time was that good time is someone that can hear bad time. Yeah, because true. if you can hear it, you can fix it. It's oh, not man. like I'm it's not like I'm playing bad time and I hear that it's bad and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't hear that it's bad until I check it later, and that's when I go. Really? Are you sure? Because oh, I kind man. of nailed that. I'm going to so I'm going to admit to a. Uh, a jerk tendency of
0: mine, if I'm scrolling through Instagram, the moment I hear something that's wavering, I'm like, get away, go away. Like, I don't want to litter my ears with bad time. As soon as I hear it, I'm like, nope, get, get out of my feed.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. We have to talk about that someday, too. But for now, let's move into some education. Uh, So we're talking about developing a pattern, and I wanted to walk you guys through a couple options when you're developing a pattern. And when I say a pattern, this could be a sticking pattern, hands only. I would consider anything, well, I guess singles are a very short pattern. But once we hit paradiddles, we're in in pattern land. Uh, So it could be a sticking pattern, or it could be a linear pattern. Or it could be anything. But when I'm developing a small chunk of notes, and in this case we're going to use a pattern that is eight notes long, so it's right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left on a loop, when I'm developing that pattern, I do quite a few different things with it. And I don't just play it. And so I wanted to talk about how Mike and I attack this stuff. But before we do that, I want you guys to hear this pattern. Um, So the first thing that I want to show you is how this pattern sounds monotone and then I want you to hear it with the right hand being accented and the left hand being ghosted and then another two bars of the right hand being ghosted and the left hand being accented and you'll hear how many things live inside this pattern and that I think is the awakening that oh this pattern is way more complex than just right left kick right left kick right left so let's take a listen to that
0: I do the exact same thing. That's if I'm confronted with a new pattern that I may be physically able to play, but I don't know what to do with it musically. I do the exact same thing where I'll pick one hand, accent all of them, then reverse it. And then I'll go into, well, what if I just accent one of the rights? And yeah. you know, and just kind of move it through. At that point, I go less like specific. Like, do the first one, do the third one, do the third, the fourth. Sure. One. I just start kind of freely accenting one of the rights or one of the lefts, and then it becomes a musical thing,
1: right? And that to me is when <laughs> uh, my light just fell. It's all
0: good. <laughs> We're professionals here.
1: <laughs> yeah, super pro, super pro. So uh, that to me is one of the things that takes you from the non-creative to the creative like Mm. okay now i'm going to improvise not improvising anything other than the dynamics of this pattern and uh for any of you that struggle where you go like man i can't i literally tried to ghost the left and accent the right and i couldn't do it one of the things you can do because the reason i'm doing that isn't to physically do it it's so i can hear is there something cool happening inside this pattern Mm -hmm. right Um, i'm trying to hear the coolest thing so if you just keep your right hand on the snare in this pattern And move your left hand to your leg, then you can still play completely monotone, but you'll hear the melody between right hand and bass drum, and you won't hear the left hand part. And then reverse that, but your right hand hitting your thigh with the stick and your left hand on the snare, and then you'll hear those parts. And then once your ear grabs a hold of that, then maybe it'll be a little bit easier to physically still play on the snare drum, but drop the right, pop the left, Mm -hmm. or vice versa. Um, So that's something that will really help you guys a lot. Okay, so the next thing I do with this, if I'm developing this pattern, and Mike and I have both worked through our dynamics, I kind of want to hear, is this a groove? And when I think of a groove, anything could be a groove if you make a groove. But Mm. I'm thinking, like, does this have a backbeat on two and four, or does it have a backbeat at all? Is it just random notes, or does it groove? So I want you guys to hear this. My right hand will be on the hi-hat. Left hand is on the snare. But I'm accenting beats two and four, which in this pattern, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, naturally fall on the left hand.
0: dig it i mean that fits perfectly with that pattern um to do it that way and right and not all do for sure yeah which is funny because i did you know when i when you gave me this sticking i I went to the kit and just started messing around and for whatever reason that wasn't one of my first instincts to do it that way Beautiful. i I heard it i heard it as um the accent on the eighth note the final note of it, for whatever reason, and then, then it started cycling to where when I repeated it, the backbeat fell on the first left, so it's more like on the E. Oh, nice! For whatever reason, okay.
1: And my instinct never said play the backbeat on the, the fifth sixteenth note. So let's talk about this because this is where I think a lot of new drummers would get confused. In the beginning, there was. No, in, the, in, <laughs> in the beginning, as you're learning this instrument, it's almost assumed that a backbeat is a shorthand term for beats two and four. Uh, but neither of us feel that way, right? N- no, I think a, yeah, backbeat that can is, be a backbeat. It's of something that's not on beat one or three, essentially.
0: Okay. Yeah, but then there's also you can. You know, any rule can be broken, so you can put a backbeat on one and three, but you have to know that you're doing that to purposely flip the perspective. Do you
1: think to be a backbeat, though, it has to be consistent? Like, it's a spot that happens every one bar or every two bar? Yeah, I guess so. You know,
0: I guess... Yeah, because, I mean, if it was just
1: random snare hits, I wouldn't consider it a backbeat. Yeah, like, does a song-go
0: have a backbeat in it? Yeah, I think it does. It's just...
1: yeah. It's only uh, it'd maybe that first yeah it'd be the first snare on the end of one. But I mean it, you know, it can be... Yeah. You know, so and that's if it's 2 3 if it was 3 2 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That kind of kind of messes that's with
0: my That's something we head. should explore. I think a backbeat really needs to be on 2 and 4 or unless you're purposely displacing it for the effect. Otherwise, I wouldn't call it a backbeat. What would I do? But
1: you just called the backbeat the E of 1. But I wouldn't. Well, dear, yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I don't That's know why what we have to I'm explain going. this more. And it's... <laughs> So, if you if you are in the beginning, just know that we've been playing drums for over 60 years collectively, and we still have no idea yeah, what about well, backbeat yeah, is. Yeah, backbeat in this pattern,
0: it just means where am I putting the strongest left-hand note. There we go. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. And I was hearing okay. it on the 8th, 60th note, or on the 2nd, 60th note, once the pattern started cycling with some speed. If I was playing it slowly, I wouldn't hear it that way, but I want to start right. really kind of ripping it as Basically as
1: fast as I could physically do it. Those accents kind of popped out on the E's and the uh's. Beautiful. So once we've decided, okay, this could be used as a groove... And it grooves, uh, especially because it's such a short pattern. It's only eight notes long, so you're going to be able to make something feel consistent with it. Then the next thing I want to hear is, like, what does it sound like as a fill? I'm not quite ready to improvise and throw down over the kit. And this is where Mike and I start to branch out a little bit and have different approaches. Uh, But I want you guys to hear what this sounds like as a fill. But pay attention to this. Every time I do it as a fill, I'm going to completely change the orchestration where I play it. And I'm going to change the dynamic structure of it. So I'm not going to always hit the first note loud or the Mm. second note loud or give it a backbeat. And I want you to hear how massively different this thing sounds every time you hear it as a fill. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you if I didn't know that was one pattern, there's no way I would have guessed that. I would have to like really focus in on the sticking and say, oh, he's playing the same thing every single time. It sounds completely different to me each time you yeah, play. that field.
1: Especially if you can't see my hands, you're already making assumptions that his right hand must be over there or his left hand must be there. Yeah, you don't know if I'm crossing over. So that to me is why it's so important to practice something very deep mm-hmm. because now. I didn't need to learn 20 fills. I needed to learn one fill 20 ways, and now I'm good. Now I have some seriously flexible vocabulary. By the way, please don't rewind this podcast and listen, but I will tell you this. That (laughs) segment right there is where all that freak out over time happened. When I I listened back to that, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm the worst drummer that's ever lived. (laughs) And so that, like, making that exact audio, I was like, I just want to crawl in a hole. And uh, so, yeah. So I... And now knowing that if I would have posted that on Instagram, you would have skipped me. Damn it. <laughs> all right, so this is episode 170. <laughs> let's, let's bookmark this. So let's okay. do 180 revisit the pattern. 190, revisit the pattern. <laughs> until you <they>, until <laughs> you can actually <laughs> listen to me without throwing up in your mouth. No, just for yourself, just to say like, all right did, I,
0: is, it, is it better than it yeah. was two months, two Ten and a half episodes months ago? ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I love it. I love it. Oh yeah, okay. so you had so, kind of alluded to this is where you and I slightly diverge. Um, right. Kind of similar goal, but um, I don't immediately put these patterns into a an, an old groove and then use it as a fill. I, I will say I'll go into play the pattern as a groove, and then in the fourth bar play the pattern as a fill. Go back Love to it. the pattern for four, for three bars as a groove, mm-hmm. and then just start kind of morphing between so it's not always three and one. It might be one and a half or half of the second bar is more of a fill type of idea. So right. that's that's kind of putting me maybe closer to your fourth uh, step. I, I don't traditionally create fills. I mean, I need to. That should be a resolution to actually create fills that aren't predictable, like I always well, play.
1: But I think this comes from being a private drum instructor at a young age. One thing that I noticed when I gave people pattern work like this was they could do it if they started doing it and just kept going. But they couldn't leave the pattern and come back to mm-hmm. it. So one of my tests to see if you have this or not was, can you play a groove unrelated to it? Play it as a fill and then groove right away and then play it as a fill. Or do you have to always warm up into it? Because I remember with Samba, if I said paradiddles over the Samba, my students always had to go, doom. To get yeah. their feet going first. They right. never started with it. yeah. Um, and so it's like, oh wow, okay, so you have to warm this thing up. Well, when you're on the gig, you're not going to get to warm it up. You will be grooving, and at some point it'll you'll have to fill into a chorus or something. So I think what you do is definitely what I do as well, but I think that's what's interesting about all of us, if we all practice the same way, there'd just be an instruction instructional manual. Here's yeah. how to practice. But we all take yeah. these different approaches to get to the same destination, and that's the human element of it, which I just love. Okay, so what Mike was also talking about is eventually what I do is I want to see, can I improvise with this pattern? Now, normally, I would improvise in subdivisional time as well, meaning that I wouldn't – I'd be syncopated with this pattern. Right, left, kick. Right, left, kick. Right, left, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left. Um, I would mess around with the subdivisions, the syncopations and everything. I would see what it sounds like as triplets. What does it sound like as 16th, thirty seconds, and so on. But in this case, I'm just playing kind of a constant stream of very fast 16th notes, but complete improvisation around the drum set. There is no groove. Uh, and I'm also varying up the accents and the dynamics as well. So let's give that a listen.
0: that's 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 the stuff for me that's the goal for me if i can get to that point when i can just make music with one idea for an extended period of time and not feel like i don't think you ever
1: repeated yourself there might be some sort of shape to it but i don't think anything two bars of like a theme then it was like get out of there yeah but it, it definitely wasn't predetermined it was like it happened i loved it and did it again yeah um but the one thing, listening back to this for the second podcast, um, the one thing that I heard that time, because it's been a week since I've recorded that or a few days since I recorded that, I wish that would have been a, a solo of mine. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that was like hypnotic. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't impressive and it wasn't not, it was just kind of like, uh, I'm going to be a human and listen to this. Yep. And I don't know what the hell's going on, but I I can tell that the drummer knows what's going on because I can my the human side of me can hear some sort of repetition, mm-hmm. and I don't care to break it down. It's just kind of hypnotic. Yeah, so. it's a vibe. I love it, and that's
0: that's actually the 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 sort of a vibe that I was messing with that Gretsch kit this morning, and I like the idea of just creating this ever swirling sound. But you know what I did that was kind of neat, which I've never done, and I think mm. it's gimmicky, but it worked. Was I actually turned the snares on with my left leg while i was playing okay. that pattern yeah 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 yeah. so then it just immediately put me mentally into now you got to make it a groove because as soon as you had the snares on that that hypnotic kind of swirling sound is gone yes agreed. so that was just agreed. fun agreed. it was just one of those random like oh cool i've never done that and it actually
1: worked we'll ever do it again that's really cool probably not but it was fun <laughs> that's really cool so do you feel like when you get to that place where you're improvising the pattern like to me, that's the first time I actually start to feel like okay, we're getting this. Where mm-hmm. I think that a lot of drummers stop way before this. Uh, you know, yeah. If you if, if if ask variations. them about their fill and say, oh, "Cool, can you make a four minute drum solo out of that fill?" They'd be like, "Hell, I've never played it twice in a row." Yeah, it's right. Like, <laughs> and you don't know the pattern, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. That's that's what I
0: try to teach for for anyone who's willing to go there. That's that's for me is the end result. That's you've you've internalized this tiny little nugget of information to the point where you could, you could play that way for an hour and I would be entertained and it would be satisfying. Like because you yeah, got to that yeah. point where it's just so fluid and the accents are sh- creating all these counter melodies and stuff and you could shift into a groove vibe, you could shift into a solo vibe.
1: I could you listen to that textures.
0: all day long. Yeah. It doesn't sound a sudden, like a solo. It sounds like an interesting piece of, of music and you're expressing yourself and that's, that's right. what, where it's at for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the having a pattern down that instinctively gives you the ability to express yourself as an artist because I'm not thinking of rights, lefts, and kicks. I've worked that pattern out. Yeah. The, I mean, I, there's no way I could go, right-lift, kick, right-lift, kick, right-lift, 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 <laughs> like the whole time. My hard drive would freeze. So Now, that's a, that, that, that brings like, up a good point. So mm-hmm. when I'm improvising,
0: the moment that I start thinking about what I'm going to play is when I I'm – it's almost like you're in a an awesome dream and you realize you're dreaming and you just get sucked right out of it. And totally, that, agree. It derails it. And I, I want to just stop playing as soon as I do that. Like, Oh, let me try that
1: right, you know, kick right, left thing. And as soon as yeah, I do that, it's, 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 over. it's over. It's funny. It's the whole reason it's hard to get students to understand this, but the whole reason I'm practicing like that is so that all of that goes away. Right. right? Yeah. You know, cause a lot of students that are maybe artistic in their, just in their nature would say like, dude, I just want to sit down and play. And it's like, no, I do too. Yeah, (laughs) That's why I do this so diligently is so that I can then just speak on the instrument. The last thing I want to be thinking about is right, lefts, and kicks. Another point that we didn't really talk about because we can only go so deep with the time we have, but even in the pattern work in step one, just learning the pattern... I will not even get near a drum set until I can sing the pattern instead of think right, left, kick. As soon as I can sing as soon as I can sing it and the right, left, kick part has faded away, then I'll think about sticks. I might not even have sticks in my hand. It might just be hands and knees. I'm just trying to get my body to remember the the pattern of right, left, and kick until it becomes a sound. I'm waiting to sing it. If I can sing it, then I can play it. But if I'm stuck thinking about what comes after right left kick, it's over. Yeah, I have no shot of making it sound fluid. Yeah, and for me, the final test of
0: that is play at a tempo that's too fast for me to think, and then can I just really? do it? Like pick like a
1: oh the test, not the practice. No, no, I was the like test. that's how you start. No, <laughs> the
0: like, test of it. Like I think I've got it down. Let yeah. me put it at a tempo that I know that if I tried to think of every sixteenth note, I would just my brain would just swallow up on itself. So right. then it's like I have to just zoom out and observe myself without thinking about what I'm doing, and I'm start. That's when I kind of hear like, is the bass drum consistent, or you know, whatever, or am I throwing in an extra sticking and not realizing it? But right, that's the final test for me. Can I put it at a tempo that I know that there's
1: no way that I could possibly micromanage it? Love it, love it. Well, hopefully, you guys, this helps you understand what we go through when we're dealing with just three to eight notes or more. But we go through a lot. To, to create a sense of fluidity And a, a sense of freedom And so I want you kind of know That that's a very common thing And if you're not going through that Then hopefully now you have some light shed on oh my gosh, okay, I guess it's going to be a little bit more work than I thought. Or if you are going through this and wondering if you're wasting your time, you're not. This is how much work something can take. So I hope that helps. And now let's take a short break to get a word from our sponsor. We've got a new sponsor for the show. So thank Kat
0: for jumping on the show and sponsoring this episode. They wanted to, uh, a spotlight on a product that I didn't even know they had, and I want it. It is the KTMP1 MultiPad. It's a a four-pad you know, it's a, it's a, I don't know how big is it twelve inches maybe snare drum size and it's got four pads on it, it's got all the essential electronic sounds that you need, percussion, you know electronic sound, you know s- digital snares and things, kicks. It's got some reverb, but the most important thing is its price. So if You're,
1: our, uh, I just looked it up, I was like that I must be looking at the wrong thing. This yeah. thing's under a hundred bucks.
0: Under a hundred bucks. So if you want a simple, quick, easy, reliable way to just add. Add some electronic elements to your kit for pop gigs if you want some hand claps or whatever. This, this is kind of the way to go. And Cat is, you know, has such a good reputation for being a great company. If you remember back in the day with the Drum Cat and the mallet Cat and Trap Cat, um, so this is an affordable option. I need to get one for for just day to day gigging purposes, so I don't have to worry about taking a nine hundred dollar multi pad out to a gig that someone could knock over or whatever. So it's a great piece. Check it out! It's the KTMP1 electronic drum and percussion pad. Um, that should be my pick of the week. But anyway, thanks, guys, yeah, for that sponsoring. amazing.
1: Very cool. Very cool, and very non-threatening to people like me that don't use multi pads. Yeah, and are like, yeah, yeah. I'll just, uh, I'll just clap my hands near the microphone. I'd rather do that. I'm too scared uh, to get into this world. <laughs> it's funny because
0: I mean, we, you know, we feature. Uh, you know, pop drummers every month and I don't think there's been a single drum set up in the past 10 years where there hasn't been some kind of electronics it's just right. become part of we were just discussing yesterday like should we, because we normally break down the outlines to drums, cymbals, and electronics, mm. and we're like should we just have electronics wrapped into drums because it's all one thing now that might be the rack mm. tom and electronic pad and a floor tom and a little bar pad, like
1: Should that just all be considered part of the drum section now? Yeah. Uh, It's a a gray area, but it's it's just kind of fact. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, it it is something that for my younger students, I mean, I was kind of kidding. If you've ever seen any of my minor Festival stuff, I was using uh, a multi-pad for that and triggering stuff. So I have used it, but I'm also not a gigging drummer, so it's not a requirement Mm -hmm. for me. If I want to add it, I can, but I don't need to. But if my students tell me... Man, I wish I was playing out on tour with somebody. I'm like, you don't even have to name the artist. I don't even, you don't even have to name the genre. You're going to need to know this at some point. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. So it's just part of it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Kat, for sponsoring this episode. Now it is time to talk about our featured artist, Mr. Gergo Borlai. Uh, undoubtedly one of the most proficient drummers in the world. <laughs> I don't think we can say best drummers because that's a, that's a matter of opinion, but... Oh my god! Yeah, he's got facility on the
0: instrument, and what I love about his playing <laughs> is that it's very advanced musically and conceptually as well. So he he's got he proves his amazing sa- sound and his touch is beautiful, but he can play the drums f- as fast and as complicated as anybody on the planet. Yeah. I can't think of anyone that I would say is clearly better than
1: Gergo Borlai. I can't think. No, of if if I was going, if we were going cage match with drummers. <laughs> And there was a lineup, I can tell you right now, I'd be like, that dude right there. And they'd be like, Gergo Borlai? So, if you don't know who Gergo Borlai is, don't feel bad. A few years ago, I was in the Dominican Republic doing a drum festival. It was the, uh, it must have been about four years ago now, because it was the actual day that I met Mark Juliana for the first time, or spent any time with him. I'd met him at Nam and stuff. I met Zach Danzinger for the first time. Mm-hmm. Eric Moore was there. And we were sitting backstage, and we were hanging out, and we we're all talking drums. And this dude walks in and sits down on the couch next to us, and no one really bothered about it. So I just thought maybe he was working for the festival. I did not know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was kind of like, okay, man, come on backstage. Hang out with the drummers. So <laughs> being the moron that I am and not knowing who he is, I my love first love question it. to him— he, He even said, I'm pretty sure he said his name, like, hey, how's it going? I'm Gergo. And I was like, hey, I'm Mike. But I'm in a foreign country. I don't know the name Gergo. Yeah, true. So so I just, I asked him, do you have a drum set? (laughs) (laughs) That was my first question. And he goes, he's so polite, and he's such a sweetheart. He goes, yes. And I go, oh, that's cool. What kind of of drum set do you have? And he told me about his drum set. I asked him what color it was. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was. I hope everyone else in the
0: room was like, just like looking at you, like, "Oh my, where's this going to (laughs) go?" Yeah,
1: (laughs) I'm so lucky. I mean, what if that was somebody else that had a huge ego? You know, I mean, I'm so lucky that that was Gergo. Like, so i I'm like, well, that's really great. Keep at it, kid. And then that's it. I walk out, and uh, the next performer happens to be Gergo. So this guy who I thought was working for the festival is now on stage, and he. Completely obliterates the kit and plays things that if you gave me another 300 years, I could not do, even with enhancements. There's no way I could play what he's playing. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I just asked them, one of the greatest drummers to ever live, what color is your drum set? <laughs> or do you have a drum set? Do you have a drum set, buddy? <laughs> yeah? Would you, you want like some, some of my sticks? signature drumsticks? <laughs> I'll sign them for you. Oh, oh my God. And then from that day, that guy has been one of the coolest people to me. Every time we've done a—we did a camp together in Canada. We've never spoken about that moment, uh, <laughs> but I, I just—I I, I really look up to this guy, not only for his facility and how great he is on the drums—obviously, he's, he's great—but man, to be as humble and as kind and non-condescending to every drummer in the world as he is— that gives none of it, it takes all of our rights away to be jerks mm-hmm. because he really is that great. Um, and before we talk too much more about him, I want you guys to hear what he sounds like. Uh, so let's check out a little audio clip from Gergo. That was all single bass, guys. No, that was not. He has double pedal. Whole, but I mean, it's it's the the guy's flawless, man. Yeah,
0: we just featured him in the issue. Now that everyone, if you if you're subscribed to the magazine, which I hope you do, um, it's the issue with R.J. Hale on the cover, who we'll probably talk to about next week. But there's a bit in there where he kind of talks about growing up in Hungary and the fact that they really didn't have much access. So. Uh, he was even talking about they used to smuggle LPs and stuff in to listen to. It was it was interesting. Wow! Like just that there was no internet, so they were, literally were just studying whatever records they could find. And then when he finally got the internet, he discovered the dot com and all the the Vinny wow. the Vinny stuff. So it, it's a really interesting story of a guy who I think he just had a calling. Drums were just his calling, and he figured out how to do it with against any any barriers that anyone else been like, well, I can't play drums. I don't know how, I don't have access to Vinny Cayuta and Dave Weckle or whatever, but he plays bass really well, too. Have you ever seen him play bass? Oh God, I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> I think he plays bass
1: better than anyone else in the world, too. Oh, Of course he does. <laughs> you know, just him and Spot, you know, mm. why don't you just, why don't you just share a little of the talent with the rest of us? Um, I mean, when you hear him play, it's, and you almost have to see him play to believe what's going on. And, and obviously we can only show you so much. Please look him up online so you can see what's going on. It, did you see that, uh, Instagram video that he posted, uh, doing the Harley Davidson thing with his feet? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, oh my <laughs> it was great. Cause I mean, it was like flawless singles into like flubbed singles on purpose to, I mean, yeah. you really recreated the sound of a Harley <laughs> engine starting up and, uh, and you could tell like to him he's like, i can 't believe you guys are going to post this like yeah. he, he didn't do it and think like this is cool to him, it was a total joke, and it's still but it's still physically like, damn, that was actually really good yeah um, so he can he can kind of do anything, but I think one of those things that really sticks out to me, like I mentioned, is how kind he is and how supportive he is to the drum community and the drummers in this world that if he wanted to, not that he would think like this, but he could think, well, I'm past all of y'all. And he doesn't see it that way. He's he's impressed by everybody. And the camp I did with him at uh, uh, in Canada, I think it's called uh, uh, the Stickman Drum Experience or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I had a blast doing it, but it was a very quick in and out camp thing. But uh, uh, Daniel Glass was there and Chris Johnson was there and Gergo was there. And when the campers would get up on the kit and play, like his face would just light up. He wasn't looking down on anyone. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was just like, wow, that's so cool. And he'd ask me questions where I'm like, what are you... Come on, man. Why are you asking me anything? Like, you're the man. And so I love his attitude. The other thing is, as a blazing drummer, it's, you know, you kind of forget that he's also able to use this stuff musically. So sometimes... You think, oh, well, if he's musical, he has to play a basic groove and a basic pocket. But he still is able to be him, play incredibly complex stuff, but to do it with music as well. So we're going to take a quick listen to him playing along to a track. And I believe this is a Vic Firth video, um, but it's pretty cool. And it shows how he can use a monster-sized kit and actually get use out of all the pieces.
0: question for Gergo would be tell me that was not the first time you ever sat behind that kit it had to been but I don't it, it felt like he was so comfortable behind this insane kit with like 300 sound effects behind him I mean what those factory metal things but so yeah. comfortable but you could almost tell that he was learning the instrument while he was playing just an amazing piece of
1: music it's kind yeah, of neat it's, it is really cool um, and I, I really hope that you guys take a chance to really dig into his career. Cause he's been on over a hundred albums and so he, he, he does a ton of stuff. But I, I think the one thing that if, if somebody asked me to describe Gergo Borlai, it would be the modern fusion drummer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's taken it to the next step. Yeah. But he's not playing, you know, he's not still playing stuff from the nineties. He's still going, you know, you can go see him at the baked potato probably later this week. Mm-hmm. Um, playing with someone that'll blow your mind and and supporting the music and having uh i I look at him kind of as like a lebron james type where he's physically so incredibly gifted yet it's not just him relying on luck it's also a result i mean it's not like no one has ever had lebron james's body Mm -hmm. in the nba there's plenty of guys with you know they're built like trucks but you put that with passion, with hard work, and then this is where Gergo and LeBron kind of come into one. You put that with the respect for the history of either the game or your instrument. Yeah, you could ask Gergo anything about 1987, Vinny Caliuta. He'll tell you whatever you want to know. Yeah, right. Yeah, his respect is so high for the history of music that that's when it just becomes something truly incredible so So he has
0: a he has a solo album out called the missing song I believe it's out now and it's largely inspired by Vinnie Coyota Gary Novak and some of I mean he's kind of paying respect to the the guys who created the genre that he's then saying all right let me let me take
1: this into 2020 (laughs) let's roll with it (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna need till 2040 to learn like (laughs) one measure of his stuff um yeah, so definitely check that out. Check out Gergo Borlai in general, and uh, you can just go to YouTube. There's so much footage on him, and definitely follow him on social media because he does post quite a bit of stuff of playing, and I find him to be a very inspirational person. Yeah, his signature Donet snare drum doesn't suck either. I bought that thing. <laughs> That's I mean, if you personally, the, the man who reviews every drum in the world, is going to buy someone's yeah. signature product i Ooh. did
0: i bought it it's a danette bronze uh it's the model 2n style so it has a center bead it's a bronze shell it just sounds awesome so yeah i bought it i saw, i heard i saw a video of gergo playing it i'm like whatever that drum is i just have to have it and
1: right that was it that's all
0: awesome
1: <laughs> you know what to, to we should have like the honest drum review podcast where only people that have been playing for a year play the gear so it's like that. No, that's what that drum actually sounds like. Man, like yeah, it's not fair when you have like masters of touch play it, it's like yeah, of course that drum sounds good. Yeah. It would be great just to have somebody <laughs> chopping wood over there. All right, so check out Gergo Borlai. All right, it's time
0: to check out one of your new drums, the ANF yeah, Raw Copper five by fourteen, which I have not had a chance to play myself. It looks amazing, as all ANF drums do. It looks like. Yeah. Um, you could uh, maybe get tetanus from this drum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that is uh, the goal, is to have that look. And then when you actually play it or see it in person, you just go like, wow, okay, this is a whole different level. Um, so this is their raw copper snare drum, and it comes in... Just like you would expect from A&F. Tons of different sizes. Pretty much, if you can think of it, they can make it. This is a hand-cut, hand-rolled, hand-welded, hand-sanded copper snare drum. So all of this stuff is made by hand by A&F. And then the the lugs and the hoops are brass. And we'll talk about that later, but that's super, super important uh, to what gives this thing the sound that it has. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty amazing drum. And and I would assume, I have to be honest, I know that I have one with brass hoops. I'm looking at them online. It looks like the hoops might be copper as well. So A&F is a custom company. If you wanted to go brass hoops, you could. If you wanted to go copper hoops, I'm sure you could as well. So you can kind of really do anything that you can think of with A&F. But the drum itself... Is something that when I was talking to Rami and we were really digging. Rami is the owner um, and president of AF Drum Company, and when we were talking about working together, just on developing sounds, he's so interested in developing sounds. So it, you know, he was totally cool with the fact that I was fully endorsed by Gretsch and was always going to be, and he was just like, "Well, let's just talk about it, man. What do you wish was going on?" I was like, "Man, is there anything more sensitive than brass?" And he's like, "Copper is kind of crazy." So he said, but one thing I learned from Rami is all metal is not created equal. I really didn't realize how much of a recipe creating any kind of alloy could be. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't just come from Bob's Copper Factory. Someone has to make this. (laughs) Right. Um, So, so. The A&F metals that I've dealt with have their definitely have their own thing going and they have their own sonic properties. And this drum can be as sensitive as you want it to be, but it also has a, a really great amount of volume and crack. But the one thing that I will give it um, kind of credit for before I let you guys listen to it is the fact that copper is not brass. It mm-hmm. has its own sonic characteristics and there is a personality to this drum that my AF brass doesn't have. My ANF brass sounds like a sample. It is flawless. And it I mean, if if I had to bring one drum to the studio, it'd probably be my either five or five and a half by fourteen AF brass snare drum. Because I know that there no producer in the world is gonna have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. That, if you play drums all day, can also get a little kind of like, eh, sounds like a sample. <laughs> yeah. I want something else. Well, that's where the copper drum would come in. So let's give it a listen.
0: Okay, so we should repeat that you you are not close-miking the snare drum
1: at all, right? That's an overhead. Right, this is my traditional setup, so I've got uh, an overhead microphone, uh, and this is the stock head. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's a Remo CS Dot. Okay. And just went through what I consider to be high, medium, and low tunings. No gels whatsoever, wide open, so that the, that those overtones are there. That's yeah. what drums do. It sounds
0: it's like it's putting out a lot of sound like that's mm-hmm. the first thing i noticed was it was just putting out a lot of sound which i think is a good thing because you can always rein it in you can't you can't make an anemic snare drum sound fuller you just can't do it exactly um, exactly and i think the beauty of F drums for me every time i hear one if you've had the, had the head barely tensioned at all there's just something magical there like that yeah. just sounds amazing, and I don't feel like you need to put a ring on it or, or put any kind of gels on it.
1: No, it just sounds great, and that's kind of how they became so well known so quick. I mean, this this is this company's two years old, mm-hmm. and it's almost in that world that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, where it's like, yeah, they're a drum company. Yeah, they're not, you know, and they've established themselves very quickly, and a lot of that came from them playing slackheads almost. In their Instagram videos, which mm-hmm. just blew up like crazy and almost made it cool to just do that and have that sound. The problem is if you 've ever tried to loosen your snare drum really loose you 'll notice that not all drums can do that they no. get really wonky, yeah, they do and I think they' the like mad at you the
0: hoops have a lot to do with it. They have nice heavy yeah. brass hoops yeah. I think that 's kind of Agreed. the missing link with with most. Um, you know cheaper lesser drums i think that would be my my one point of advice if you have a drum that you think just sounds kind of weak try some brass
1: hoops on it i bet it's going to sound yeah. it's going to be exponentially better right away it, uh, it makes a massive difference and the thing is i think we could get all drums to do the you know the big fat snare drum thing the dsh- only if if you went full slack of course it's not going but there's no life there mm-hmm. and you couldn't even entertain the idea of playing anything other than a backbeat because there's no response on your drumstick you won't feel anything yeah when I was playing that loose tuning I could have buzzed into my backbeat or buzzed into my bass drum I could have done some diddles I could have played that drum it was fully playable at that tension but still had that sound
0: yeah super cool what I usually hear in copper which I hear a little bit in this drum I think this has more range than than your kind of general off the shelf copper drum is its its the overtones seem to be in the mids and upper mids. Like there's not a lot of that low mid stuff, which I think is what we associate with like a Black Beauty sound. That lower mid kind of fatness, it kind of mm-hmm. scooped out a little bit. So I, I think it's a slightly brighter sounding drum, but it is. This is an example of one that, that has a lot more range than just your generic copper shell drum. I think.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think when we list, when we listen to those little sound bites that I did. If you said, okay, from now on, you can never tune that drum anywhere other than that one, whether it was the high, the medium, or the low, I'd be fine with it. I liked all three of them. Mm. Totally fine. Yeah. You know, I didn't, some drums, you, it's very obvious. It's like, okay, that's where that drum has to live. And I think that low tuning with this is a little bit of a reflection, you know, that we all like it on just modern Instagrammy world of like, yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. You know, um, because when people used to tune like that, we never heard them play the drums by themselves. When, when that tuning was happening in sessions, we only heard it on records and we, you know, we, we wouldn't even entertain how low it actually was cause it was like, well, they, they sound horrible until you record them <laughs> yeah. Yeah. until and, you yeah. record them. And it's like, Oh, it sounds amazing. And I think we so f- we f- weren't doing it. We found like the,
0: a golden ratio with you know, iPhone speakers and that super low right. tuning, yes. and it just sounds that's that snare drum always sounds best there. The really high snare through iPhone speakers, it's going to just sound like a needle poking in the eyeball. Yeah, so that's yeah. They kind of so looked out. Thank you, Ash Stone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Ash
1: don't... was the first to take the hit for all of us, and then everyone's like, "That's amazing." He's like, "All right." <laughs> And then you hear it in person, it's like wow, okay, you know. But yeah, do you have I you agree. been following uh, Matt Chamberlain's back
0: on social media for for the next week, I guess? And oh, yeah. he's been kind of railing on, like, can we stop with the dead drum sound, please? Like, really? can we just stop? <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> I mean, love it. He, he he kind of defined it. If I think of that, those first two Fiona Apple records, it was there, yeah. and no one was using that sound at the time, right? And when yeah. did those records come out?
1: I mean, fifteen oh, God. years ago more because um, it was yeah I mean the first Fiona album had to be like 95, 96. Yeah so he's been 20 years of having producers say yeah just give me that thing again. <laughs> yeah. He's like oh dude. I, I got to assume that when he gets in his car he's like I'm just going to listen to some 311. I just <laughs> right. need to hear a crank snare. I'm going to listen to the first No Doubt album with Adrian Young and I'm going to listen to some 311 because <laughs> dang I need it cranked. Alright so anyways check out the A N F raw copper snare drum. You're depending on size. Um, you're probably looking around, you know, between a thousand and twelve hundred dollars. This is a handmade snare drum, and it is it is well worth it. it it's something that would, if you get it, it's going to live in your collection forever. So check it out. You can go to A N the letter n ANF dot com and uh, check that out. All right, let's move into some listener questions. Our first one is from
0: Andrew from Roseville, California. This is for you in particular. Andrew is asking, when can we expect more Man on the Moon music, and are you going to do any shows or tours?
1: Well, Andrew, if I was going to do any shows, uh, luckily for you, since you live in Roseville, which is about 15 minutes from here, you would be able to make it to it because it will definitely be something local. Uh, We have no desire to tour. Uh, I'm... One of the reasons that I, I love playing with these guys so much is that they are very busy musicians that are in their own groups that are that take up some of their time. So they don't need Man on the Moon to be their breadwinner band, mm-hmm. which takes all the pressure off of me that we only make music to make music and to enrich our souls. And it's, it's very pressure free. So, uh, yeah, now that I'm done with my clinic touring and all that stuff for the year... Now uh, it's the focus is Man on the Moon and Mike'sLessons.com. So we will be working on our full-length album starting pretty much, uh, I would say, Saturday, which is tomorrow. Holy mackerel. So we're going to start <laughs> finishing everything up. And one thing that we do, since we're so lucky to have this place to record in, is we're not going into the studio until we've completely made the album here mm-hmm. and we're, we agree with it. That way we're not in there paying by the hour to write an album. We're in here. We've worked out all the overdubs. We've worked it all out. Now all we have to do is track it in a better place with better gear, nice and more than two mics. So, so that's uh, what's going on. Now, do you have a timeline on when it'll be out? No, I really no. I mean, it's it's kind of diff, that's the only difficult thing about having a full band of guys that don't care about progressing the band forward. That you know, it's so <laughs> selfish. They're so like, oh album I Don't care about an album i just want to jam with you guys man uh so i would say you know probably february or march okay be realistic cool next question is from robert in england
0: he says over the last few months the amount of teaching i've been doing has been increasing and i'm now teaching more uh, intermediate players which i really enjoy with these students i'm able to work on more musical concepts but sometimes I'm finding my ability to explain them succinctly is lacking. And I often stumble over my words, like I just did, leaving (laughs) the student confused. I'm wondering if you have any tips on improving the public speaking aspect of one-on-one teaching.
1: I'll let you take that one because
0: I need to learn how to do it as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that one thing that we all do as art teachers— you know, we have an artistic instrument and then we pass that on to other people is we practice the heck out of the art and we never practice the explanations. And if you think just by showing up in a lesson, it'll be better this time. It won't. You got to work out the explanations. Mm. So the good thing is you have uh, the ability to do one-on-one practice sessions every day. And it's called a camera. Stare into that lens and see if you can maintain your, your thought process and if you can really break down this topic that you're speaking about and if you can't do it to a camera you're probably not going to be able to do it to a person or do it with a person so the more that you practice speaking to a camera you don't have to upload the stuff heck just record it you don't even have to record it just stare into a lens because there's when i'm staring into a lens i have this prototypical 11 year old just kid in a random country Hmm. that barely speaks English. And that's who I'm always speaking to. And that's who I'm trying to break things down for. If I can make that child understand this concept, I can make anyone in the world understand it. And the more you do that, the better you're going to get at this stuff. But I would, if you can, I would record it and watch it yourself. Don't upload it, but watch it back. Try to the best you can delete all of that information from your own brain and watch it, watch it with a fresh pair of eyes. And did it make sense to you? Did it click for you? Would that have been what would have unlocked the door for you on that musical concept if you were in your student's position? If not, do it again and again and mm-hmm. again because that's what you would have done with your drumming. Why won't you do it with your explanations? Yeah, I'm I mean, Mike Johnston. Have a great day. <laughs> I'm fired up right now.
0: I can attest that that definitely works because I did my entire you know, lead-in to PASIC. I've filmed every aspect of what I thought I might teach. And I learned so much about myself, as far as my energy level and how many words I should say before I take a breath. And mm. most importantly, I learned how much information should I cram into a nine-minute chunk. And it was it was pretty revealing when I realized I'm trying to do and I'm trying to do two hours worth of teaching in nine minutes. Let's chill out. Let's break it down. Go yeah. one step at a time. Yeah, um, so yeah, I learned a ton, and just being comfortable being really uncomfortable, like having a camera stare at me. I know it's uncomfortable and that's going to be the same situation when I'm in front of a room full of
1: people. I don't know. It's going to be yeah. uncomfortable. So, it And helps. you learn how to not panic through that uncomfort. Uh, yeah. Even when I just did this thing in Utah, it's you know negative five degrees there obviously outside, but it's a very different condition. And I was shocked like how I don't know, maybe because of the elevation or whatever, but I was quite out of breath after my first two tracks, which was the beginning of my clinic i came out i played two tracks and i'm coming up to the end of you know i got 16 more bars to go and i'm thinking you need to slow your breathing down buddy and i start (laughs) in for 16 bars it was in through the nose out through the mouth in through the nose out through the mouth grab the microphone it's still a little cotton mouthy but i don't freak out because i've been here before I, Mm -hmm. i understand this process i know that i can take deep breaths i know i can slow the speech down and then you know eventually you're you're off and running so yeah just practice it buddy all right, our last one is from Jay.
0: He is asking Could you give me some tips on how to play and learn by ear? I am a blind person, so I cannot read transcriptions. All you, bud. That's an interesting one. Um, it's a great question. I guess what I would do is find music that you love that isn't too overwhelmingly complicated, it's within your wheelhouse of current capabilities and just pick one song and just just play with it over and over again and gradually grab more and more detail from the original recording. And also, um, I think it's that Yamaha Record and Play app will allow you to pull anything out of your iTunes that's on your iPhone or iPad, and you can slow it down. So you could slow down the original recording to whatever tempo you need to slow it down to. I mean, I think it's just yeah. the old classic way that the majority of drummers learn is by ear. You just have to find stuff that's not too overwhelming technically or conceptually. That's the hard part. Like what what is, what is just challenging enough to give you something to work on, but not too challenging that you're just wasting time?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think Benny Greb, I think it was his first DVD. It was definitely one of his DVDs, whether it was his first or his second. But I think it was from the Language of Drumming and some of the extras. He talked a lot about Putting on music, closing your eyes, and then picking out specific instruments Mm. and training your ear to hear, okay, we know that that's brass. We get it. What is it? Is it a trumpet? Mm -hmm. Is it you know a trombone? What is it? And then doing the same thing, obviously, with the drums. What do you think? 14-inch hi-hats? 13-inch hi-hats? Really train your ear to, to pick those things out. That way, when you're trying to learn by ear, you can almost, in my head, I feel like I have... A mixing board where I bring everything down and then I just push the hi hat to 10 in my head and I, I learn that part. And mm-hmm. then I bring everything down and I push the kick drum to 10 and I learn that part. And that's a little bit easier than trying to tackle a massive drum part. Yeah. Because I learn at one limit at a time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, good luck. I mean, I think fortunately, a lot of learning drums is it's oral tradition anyway. So I think yes, it's agreed. Find a teacher who kind of can help guide you that way, I think would be a big benefit. But beautiful good luck so we are almost under pick of the weeks but pick pick of the weeks <laughs> hicks picks of one week <laughs> picks of one week <laughs> wait a minute this is episode 170
1: point 70.5 okay. Right. okay okay so you struggle <laughs> then you throw shade on me come on man that's how we do it man that's yeah, how we I do know, it that is exactly how we
0: do it's it like you drop a stick and you're looking around like who did that Who did that? uh, What's wrong with this snare What kind of hi-hat stand is
1: this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The single break? Oh, man. Anyway, we have a second sponsor. This is a a special offer. This is from TNR Products. The website is tnrproducts.com. So it's the letter T, the letter N, the letter R, Products. They are offering a special 20% discount code. So if you order anything from their website and use the code Mike, ampersand mic so mic and mic no spaces they will give you 20 percent off anything you purchase plus free shipping if you're not familiar with tnr's products they have the booty shaker uh foam floor tom foot covers which i have and i use in the studio they're really effective on my old uh vintage slingerland and ludwigs to kind of allow the drum to resonate fully um because a lot of times the legs just deaden the sound. So the, the booty shakers give you a more natural, full floor tom sound. And then they also have the little booty shakers, which go over the claws on the snare drum basket. It does the same thing. It keeps the snare drum basket from dampening the resonance of the drum in any way, shape, or form. I use that on my uh, rack tom in the studio and gigging almost all the time. And I, I do not hear any difference from holding the drum up and hitting it and putting it on the stand with little booty shakers. No difference. So check them out. Go to awesome. tnrproducts.com. Order yourself some of those, and you'll get 20% off plus free shipping. But you have to be in the U.S. to get the uh, free shipping. But 20% off for everyone you have
1: until the end of the year. So until 1231. Man, you know we've made it when our names are a promo code. Yeah, I oh, it. We're getting somewhere. I wonder if we can order some. <laughs>
0: What if we're excluded from our own offer. right
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right, well, let's get into our picks of the week. Uh, so my pick of the week this time is uh, something related to film and camera gear. I promise I will get back to doing drum picks eventually, but this has been a big focus of mine for the last year, and there was something that was quite confusing and very small and very important. And I remember when I was going through building up my setup with my cameras and my lenses, and you're spending thousands of dollars, there's this one thing where I'm like, am I, Am I? should I save money here? Should I? Yes. <laughs> Wrong. You should not save money on this. And that is your memory card. Get mm-hmm. a good memory card. But it is confusing. There's so many out there. And I think in the beginning, all I cared about was how many gigs does it have? Oh, man, I can get this one. It's got 128 gigs. That's perfect. But I didn't realize, well, when you're recording, even in 1080p HD, but especially in 4K... How fast information can be written to that card is extremely important, and if you don't have a card fast enough, it won't be able to write that information to it. The other thing is how fast can can the information on that card be read, meaning how fast can you transfer it to your computer? Another important thing if you've got a ten minute four k clip and you're trying to move that over to your desktop, go get a bite to eat if you don't have a fast card you're right. be there for a while <laughs> yeah. so So it's very important to have a fast card. So I just want to give you guys one card so that you don't... Now, obviously, tons of brands make totally comparable stuff. I just want to take some of the confusion out for you. So this is the Sony SF-G64-T1. Sony makes quite a few 64-gig cards. This is the one you need to get because of how fast it is. If you're filming stuff all day long, so it's the Sony SF G64-T1 high performance card. This is uh, read and write at 300 megabits per second. Super important for that for that transfer speed. Well, read at 300, write at 299. That's enough for me. Uh, but I'm I, the reason I'm recommending this is because I ended up buying three of these because i'm usually running two to three cameras at a time i've never had a crash with these i've never had any problem and i'm recording in 4k and it writes flawlessly reads flawlessly and transfers to my computer super fast you're looking at about 100 bucks for the 64 gig if you want to go crazy for 128 gig it's 230 dollars most likely you would never ever need that much space unless you're filming weddings but if you're filming drum clicks clips for 10 minutes the only way i could see that you would need that is if you're setting up your camera and filming your gig then mm. it would be nice to have a 128 gig card if you're literally making instagram clips they make a 32 gig card all the speeds all the specs are the exact same thing but it's only 60 bucks so if you just type in if you go to amazon or wherever bnh photo doesn't matter sony sf dash g64 slash t1 i know it's a lot to remember but if you do that then you'll find everything you need sweet I need that. I've had a card fail on me when I just finished a product demo, and I did not want to do it again. It was the worst. That would be like like Pro Tools crashing after you did an (laughs) hour-long podcast. I have no idea what that feels like.
0: All right. My pick of the week is (laughs) 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 different from what it was going to be. I discovered um, by chance on iTunes there's a collection of interviews with all kinds of legendary jazz musicians in particular oh, wow. there is art blakey tony williams steve gadd paul motion mel lewis max roach jack DeJunette. Um and it's all called the talking jazz project um, in particular the one that i've been obsessing over is the steve gadd one. i believe they're all hosted by um shoot what's his name sid sid ben sidron I'm okay. sure I'm saying his name wrong, but he's a singer-pianist that Gad recorded with. So uh, so he's you know a jazz musician on the scene. He interviewed a bunch of his peers and friends. So it's kind of like a podcast, but in 1986. Um, so the one with Steve Gad, the Paul Motion, and the Tony Williams one I found on iTunes, maybe the rest of them are there. Either way, they're like a half-hour, just really nice conversation that doesn't get too nerdy so you get a little bit more kind of like contextual like what was going on in the scene when they were coming up and their their approach to the instrument the gad one is awesome it kind of blew my mind with a couple things he was talking about but Paul motion steve gad um, tony williams it's talking jazz with ben Sidran. s-i-d-r-a-n
1: got it pretty amazing awesome I will be listening to that on all of my drives today. Fantastic. Well, dude, round two wasn't too bad. Well, we did our outro groove. I think we basically gave uh, this is a one and a half episodes here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we went in,
0: man. I'm going deep in this one. So we've got um, this. The beat you're hearing fade in right now, which I will tell you as soon as I open up the file. It's James Sharp. James Sharp.
1: That's cool, man. That's tribal. I feel like I need to go out and gather some berries. <laughs> I'm not about to hunt. It's just not my thing. <laughs> what? I'm not going to hunt. I'm not a hunter. I'm against it. Not completely. Don't be mad at me. But, I'm, I'm, but, I, but I'll gather some berries. <laughs> You're fired up to go gather some berries. <laughs> uh, who doesn't? Come on. Well, James, your
0: beat is officially the berry-gathering beat of the week. <laughs> oh, The berry-gathering beat of the week. That's James T-shirt number eight. James Sharp over in the UK. He's playing a Yamaha Stage Custom Birch Kit. He's got the Ludwig Blacker Snare. He's got two Rhythm Tech Hi-Hat Tambourines. Um, using one of those camp percussion lunar lander jingle thingadoogers that sit on the snare drum (laughs) which was my pick of the week I think a year ago Uh, pretty cool little device yeah so that's the um, berry pick and beat of the week
1: (laughs) (laughs) goodness gracious you know what I gotta say round two went better than I thought it would I thought you'd be mad at me the whole time Uh, good good. stuff Uh, (laughs) all good alright buddy well Get to work on your freedom of drumming. I'll get to work on my time, and I can't wait to do that pattern 10 episodes from today. Awesome. (laughs) Later, buds.